once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 297 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Available for download or streaming on Monday, December 5th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Quintus. Hello, everyone. Well, Captains, hopefully you didn't miss us too much last week, but we have a ton of stuff to cover. Kenna, why don't you tell us what we have this week? Well, this week we check out some interesting facts about Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, as well as Star Trek First Contact, facts that will help you win at Trivia Night. Additionally, we parse through the latest casting announcement for Star Trek Discovery. In Star Trek Online news, we're looking at some new ships available for console and PC, a new prize pack with some old favorites, and Q's Winter Wonderland is now live. We've also got a couple tidbits from other Star Trek games. Later, Elijah goes through a temporal anomaly back to Albany and an interview with Rick Sternbach. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Of course, don't forget to keep the conversation going at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can also send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Please visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one and find out about all the cool perks that we have to offer those of you who financially support our show. Now, speaking of Patreon perks, now that we're back to recording our episodes live on Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, we're offering the live unedited recording to our patrons at the $10 level. That's roughly about $2.50 per week per episode, which is, you know, less than a cup of coffee. We value our patrons for their support, and we certainly value your consideration. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. You know how we love to fill your head with fun facts about Star Trek and its makings. Remember the one we told you about how Eddie Murphy was supposed to have a role in Star Trek IV The Voyage Home? Well, in an article in The Hollywood Reporter, writer Steve Mearson explained that out of the ten outlines originally written for the film, the last one included Eddie Murphy playing an astrophysicist at Berkeley. There would have been no Dr. Gillian Taylor, Kirk's love interest in the film. So there you have it. Murphy was supposed to play an astrophysicist. What would that film have been like? Well, it would have been really interesting if it was still Kirk's love interest. <laughs> I find that unlikely. I find that unlikely. I do also find that unlikely, but boy, that would have been an interesting yeah, and, film. And what I, what I find especially interesting is that Murphy was super excited to be in this movie. He like wanted to do it, but he was conflicted mm. with Golden Child. Right, he's a Trekkie. He right. missed out ah. on Star Trek Four for that. Which is a shame, because it's one of the best Star Trek yeah. films. And to, and when you go through Eddie Murphy's, you know, catalog, I mean, what do you think of? Beverly Hills Cop? Oh, yeah. I mean... Yeah, comedy yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Beverly Hills Cop, I think. Yeah, of course. Now, But here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Do you think that having 
had Eddie Murphy in the film would have just taken Star Trek just a little too far into no, that comedic. No, no, no. He was he was coming to Star Trek. Okay. It wasn't them going to Murphy. He was coming to them. No, no, it was them going to Murphy. He was just interested. When he heard about it, he was interested because he was a mm. Trekkie. But and, and the reason that they were even considering Eddie Murphy was because he was in that decade, he was huge yeah, but, for yeah. Paramount. Yeah, but I but remember it was Nimoy directing. And so I think I think I don't think Nimoy would have let it, let Eddie Murphy drag them too far into Eddie Murphy land. I think it would have been fine. Here's a question. Do you think it would have been a, a role for him that he would have actually gone and played straight? So no. like They would have written it, Eddie Murphy. You know, do you yeah. think so? I mean, I know there were bits of Voyage Home that were a bit goofy anyway. Do you think that he would have then made it more goofy? Or do you think he would have played it straight? Because, you know, like Whoopi Goldberg was pretty much a comedic actress before she joined The Next Generation. I was going there. I was going to Whoopi Goldberg. I was going to Whoopi Goldberg. And I would, and that's where I was saying. I was saying, yeah, look, look what she did, yeah. And I think that would have been yeah. similar, but I also think they would have, I would, they would have amped up the slapstick a little bit, or the goofiness a little bit hmm. to, to play to his strengths a little more. Wait a minute, when did when did Color Purple come out? In the eighties. I have no idea. <laughs> so it was after. So it was after. Well, Voyage Home was also in the eighties. It's all kind of a blur. Voyage Home was eighty six. Well, here's another interesting trivia nugget for you to dunk into your Trek sauce. So with Star Trek First Contact celebrating its 20th anniversary, a few of the creative team sat down with The Hollywood Reporter to talk about its production. The interviews in this article are great, with some amazing insight into the film from Brannon Braga, Ronald D. Moore, and Jonathan Frakes. For instance, there was supposed to be a huge fleet battle at Earth when the cube attempts its initial assault, but it got cut due to budgetary restraints. Boo. Boo. Okay, now here's that fun fact we promised. Cher, believe this, was considered for the role of the Borg Queen. You're welcome. Do you believe in love and love? I, maybe my memory is just fuzzy because I'm getting old, but wasn't there a fleet battle at the beginning of First Contact? There was indeed. It was very short. So you're talking about when the Enterprise shows up. Yeah, it was supposed to be much bigger than that. Yeah, it was kind of a fleeting thing. It really was. Sorry, no pun intended. <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, but I, I would have liked it to have been, you know, 10 minutes long, but I thought it turned out all right. Yeah, it worked for the film. It was fine. Well, that's the thing about Jonathan Frakes' directing, right? You know, with, a, with the TV mindset, he had a budget and created a film with that type of mentality, right? So, she, so you know, uh, he uh, obviously he had a budget bigger than that of, a, of an episode, but still telling a story without relying on high-budget special effects, being creative while in a box. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, though, having a huge fleet battle at, at that, uh, I think that's fairly early on in the movie. I'm not sure there would have been any point to that except to be like, hey, let's show off our special effects. Like, I'm thinking um, right. Star Trek the motion picture with the, like, 10-minute scene of... <laughs> Of panning around the Enterprise, yeah. which yeah, yeah. so it, it works. I'm fine. I'm fine with there not Less being is a sometimes battle more. there. Uh, yes, exactly. Right, right. So anyway, this article is just filled with some amazing stories, and you definitely need to go and check that out. It will help to give you a whole new appreciation for one of the best Star Trek films ever created. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Well, we're only six months away before the new series Star Trek Discovery is set to air, and we're just now getting word of some casting choices. For starters, it was reported that Michelle Yeoh, who you might remember from Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon, will play the role of Captain. Captain George Yu, a Starfleet captain aboard the starship Shenzo. Additionally, two other actors have been announced, veterans of stage and screen in their own rights. 
Anthony Rapp, best known for his role as Mark in the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical and subsequent movie musical, Rent, will play Lieutenant Stemetz, an astromycologist, fungus expert, and Starfleet science officer aboard the Starship Discovery, who also happens to be gay. Doug Jones, who is no stranger to unbelievable makeup transformations and has played some of the most obscure characters in films like Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth, will play Lieutenant Saru, a Starfleet science officer and a new alien species to the Star Trek universe. Now, Anthony Rapp has already taken to Twitter to express his excitement over the role, sharing pictures of DVD box sets of all the series incarnations, although why he's watching them on DVD astounds <laughs> me. He also tweeted, quote, so proud to be a part of this journey. I'm a longtime fan and super geek of the highest order, end quote. Yeah, so I take nothing away from this. <laughs> It's it's great that they're announcing some casting, but I get I get nothing from it. it it's hard. It, okay, so I get I get two things. Michelle Yeoh's mm -hmm. casting, I think, is a a foreshadowing of the type of action we might mm -hmm. see because she is a talented stunt yes, yes. actress and talented martial yes. artist. Why would they bring her on board? to not take advantage of those yeah. talents. Well, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was 20 years ago. No, but she's done a bunch of, of uh, movies since. And she's still, she's and she's actually doing Crouching Tiger Netflix series right now. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't expect some something like that, but I'm, mm -hmm. I would say don't put all your eggs in that basket. I mean, she's she's very good as like an on-screen sort of presence. You know, I, I'd seen Hong Kong Kung Fu movies when I was younger, but then when Crouching Tiger came out, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm Michelle, okay, there's going to be, she's going to have to get rescued all the time. She's going to be kidnapped by the bandits and stuff. And nope, no, not so much. Nope. No, not, <laughs> not so, so much, much. No, she's like chopping people's heads off and stuff. And, you know, and uh, and, and she's all, she's part of the intrigue, right? And she's mm. investigating and, and being and moving the plot forward. So... Uh, I think she's going to be real good, and uh, she's an excellent sort of uh, headliner name. I mean, every, every, so far mm -hmm. the other people have, I guess, been in things before, but they wouldn't necessarily be uh, recognized to a broad audience. Like, I don't know Anthony Rapp or Doug Jones. I have no idea who those people are. So they may be, you know, experienced actors, but to the regular Joe, they're not going to know them. Michelle Yeoh from Crouching Tiger. Okay, there's your, there's your Scott Bakula, right? Mm -hmm. There's your Avery Brooks. Yeah. Uh, there's the person you've seen before. And she brings quite a lot of gravitas to that, to a captain's role, because that's right. the kind of right. um, the kind of appearance and all of that that she has. She brings that to a role. So I think that's appropriate that she's a captain. You wouldn't believe her as... You'd believe her as a captain or, a you know, an admiral or something like that. You wouldn't believe her as a astromycologist, for example. I wouldn't throw away Anthony Rapp or Doug Jones. Well, more specifically, mm. Doug Jones. Because Doug Jones... I mean, I don't know if you've seen Pan's Labyrinth, and I don't know if you've, uh, if you've watched Hellboy, but, I mean, the the creatures that he brings to life are uh, amazing. I mean, they're out of this world, right? They, they the, it, the Things come to life that you'd never thought possible. So, what I take away from him being cast as a new alien species is that we're going to see something we've never seen before. Mm. It, it's not just going to be someone with ridged foreheads or a spoon forehead, <laughs> yeah. right? We're not going to be seeing that anymore. Not not in this case, because for for Doug Jones to be playing a character, I expect nothing less than this guy being top to bottom, full body suited kind of alien creature. You know what I think about, um, which novel series is it that um, that they have a raptor as a medical officer? It's like a big dinosaur. Is that Destiny? 
Was that Destiny? No idea. I'm sorry, I don't know. One of the novels, in one of the novels, there's a medical officer where uh, it's an alien medical officer, and it, you know they, they talk about the the raptor claw clanking on the on the um, on the deck of the ship. He's going to be able to bring something to life that we have not seen before. So that, there's some there is some gravitas mm. there too in terms of this person's yeah. this actor's yeah. talent. Anthony Rapp, I mean, I, he's great in Rent. He's a talented music theater mm. performer, talented tenor, talented singer. I haven't seen him in enough beyond that. I haven't seen him in anything beyond. Yeah, no, rent, neither have I. You know, so I, I don't know. I don't know what, what you know, where, where it, it's coming from. I will say this, however. I think about when The Next Generation was mm-hmm. cast. Now, I was too young to remember this, but reading production notes and production criticisms was that you had a whole bunch of no-names right. cast in as The Next Generation and only two big-name actors yeah. for the time, which was LeVar mm-hmm. Burton and Will Wheaton, right? Will Wheaton, Stand By Me, LeVar Burton, Roots. So these two actors brought with them a resume and a repertoire of being solid actors and successful actors in yeah. film. My takeaway from this is that these are three actors that do carry weight to themselves already, right? They're not, they may not be A-listers, mm-hmm. but they're strong yeah. actors, yeah. very strong actors. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it in that way where, okay, so the, the female lead, man, I'm really excited to find out who they're going to cast for that. But it's going to be some, some ingenue, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I, think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Not with, no, an ingenue, no it's way. It's going to be somebody yeah. young because they're lower in rank and you're going to have to watch them evolve. And I think, um, correct me if I'm completely taking what you said and distorting it. We do, I mean, the three people that they've announced do have a a, a relative amount of, they they bring an audience with them. If you're going to compare that back to uh, The Next Generation, which ended up being very successful, then the rest of the cast... We probably won't know who they no, are. You, you will have, they'll have IMDB pages, but nothing, nothing, you know, they're going to be, you know, a uh, fourth cheerleader from the right, uh, you know, and Steve, the sidekick. <laughs> I mean, Ooh, let's yeah. hope no, I, mean, so. that, I mean, that's what they're going to be. And you think, think yeah. about Patrick Stewart. I mean, he had a long and storied career at the Royal Shakespeare Company. He had small mm-hmm. parts in, uh, uh, a small part in Dune, you know, so, I mean, you have, you'd seen him before. Uh, he was in Excalibur, yeah. right? I mean, you, people had seen him before, but it, no one had any idea of, of his depth or his talent, uh, at least not in, you know, sort of mainstream America. He was a bald guy, you know, a bald English guy. What the hell? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? What are you doing here? Yeah. I, I kind of think that we are going to see, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a Veronica Mars-ish or a Jessica Jones-ish sort of lead female. I, I really get the vibe that that's kind of where they're going with this, it, it, just just by the casting so far, right? You got the wise, you know, s- serious mentor figure female. You got mm-hmm. the creepy otherworldly alien that's going to bring some <laughs> sort of, you know, uh, uh, zen something to this whole situation, you know, some sort of outsider's perspective. Mm-hmm. And you got the gay sidekick. Yeah. I'm totally smelling a Veronica Mars or Jessica Jones-ish uh, sort of uh, a thing coming from this. Now, here's a question for the both of you. Do we think there's any significance to the fact that, that these two people are both science officers? And why why do we care that he's an astromycologist? Because, yeah, why do we care? <laughs> 
Why do we? Yeah. Why do we care that? that because he's yeah. the secret spy. Because that they're gonna because they're gonna advertise him as the fungus guy, and he's the gay guy, and he's the sidekick, but he's gonna turn out to have the deep secret. He's gonna turn out to be the you know 007. Okay. That's why we care. Okay. That's his deep cover yep. story, is it? He loves fungus. Yeah, I'm like really into, totally fungus. into fungus. Hey, <laughs> I'm Lieutenant Stamets. I'm totally, totally into, into fungus, fungus. And murdering people with soda straws. That's what <laughs> I do. Yeah. I think that this casting is setting a bit of a tone for what we should expect, which is going to be a, a, a very serious show. I'm sure there'll be some light moments to it, but if a serious show that is going to take itself seriously more so than any other series we've seen before. I think we're going to get a bit of a Ronald D. Moore type of Battlestar Galactica series, right? Where it's not, it, it, it it's a story that just so happens to be set in space and about Star Trek. Yeah, that's, that's okay with me. Me too, me too. As long as they don't completely lose any humor out of it, but I don't think they will. No, no. Again, you know, they've got, they've got Nick Meyer in there and, and Brian Fuller, even though he's not the day-to-day guy, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's, he's still there. I, I, I don't think they're going to lose that. I think everyone needs, everyone, I mean, again, fungus, right? I mean, there's a, there's a thousand corny jokes just waiting to happen right there. So <laughs> I, I, I don't think, I don't think that that's, that's going to be a problem. Uh, so, but I'm resisting so hard right now, coming out with all of the fungus jokes. I, 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 I they're right there. They write themselves. <laughs> They'll leap off the page, much like a nugget dunked in Trek sauce. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I think, but I think that uh, th- th- that won't be hard. I think what will be hard is, is them balancing it, right? You know, because like I said, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm already kind of sensing kind of where they're going with this with these casting choices. Here are their sort of staple actors, the ones that. As you're saying, already may already have a little bit of uh, of a following. May already kind of people may already kind of know them by announcing these casting choices. They're kind of signaling how we're going. We're going to have an Andy Circus guy who's really good at bringing makeup things to life. We're going to have the, the the older mentor figure here, and we're going to have the secret agent man who really likes fungus and is gay. I mean, there, this there, there's there's a, there's a direction here, and I'm hoping that they can balance that off with the humor and the. Uh, you know, uh, deep thinking that you would associate with a Star Trek series. Now, here's another question that I just thought of as you were talking about. Um, well, you, you mentioned Andy Serkis, who is, to be fair, what I thought of when I when I heard about Doug Jones. Um, now, you know, if we theoretically think that this could be a you know really crazy alien creature, how significant of a character can that really be? As a as a part of a television series, like I totally get in a film because you have a certain amount of filming that you have to do, but realistically, long term, if you've got like you're talking like full body makeup or you're talking about crazy prosthetics and stuff, that's not really going to be every week, is it? Oh, that's going to be a side so. character. No, 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 no. I think what, probably one of the reasons why they had this guy come in is because he knows what it's like to sit in a makeup chair for four hours a day or eight hours a day, whatever it ends up being. So I mean, I think I, th- okay. I think I think he'll be in and out. And and again, you know, look how I mean, Star Trek. I mean, Worf. He had to put his forehead on every week. Spock had to put his ears on every week. Data had to get his makeup done every week. I yeah, mean, yeah, but but you're talking the forehead of the week again. That's 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 what we've already seen from Star Trek when Elijah was talking before. He was talking like full on, like totally, kind of tr- <laughs> totally yeah. transformed. Well, I, I, that I'm not sure that we'll see that. If we do, I don't think it'll be every week because, yeah. like, from a production standpoint, like, how do you? I don't even know if that's legal that you can make an actor do <laughs> yeah, that. Just sleep here on the makeup bed. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you can. He did Fallen Skies. Okay. 
that TBS alien yeah. movie thing. Because remember, now a lot of that, you know, you put on some makeup and CGI. the rest is Oh, yeah, CGI like CGI. Added. You glue green, ping pong balls to your spandex. head. spandex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Okay, so maybe. So, Captains, what do you think about the casting choices that have been made and announced so far for Star Trek Discovery? Let us know in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO297 or by answering our social media posts for this episode on Facebook or Twitter. Now let's check out what's happening this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome back to Stone News. So, you know that thing where you go away on holiday and come back to an inbox full of a thousand emails to catch up on? Yeah, well, that's what this week feels like. So we take a week's holiday and literally all of the things happened. Now, the big story this week in Star Trek Online is that Q's Winter Wonderland is now upon us. Whether you play on PC or console, yeah, big woohoo. But first, let's have a look at the latest content to hit both platforms. While we were away last week, a couple of new ship bundles hit both PC and console. First up, console players now finally have access to the Tier 6 command ships. The Whopper bundle of ships numbers 9 in total, an engineering, tactical, and science variant of each of the Federation, KDF, and Romulan ships. All nine ships have seating for command specialization bridge officers. They come with some nifty starship traits as well, including improved brace for impact on the engineering variants, improved tachyon beam on the science variants, and all hands on deck on the tactical variants. These ships are available individually in faction-specific packs of three or as a mega bundle of nine on the C-Store on Xbox One or PlayStation 4. Now, it's not just console that got some of the new ships last week. PC also got a brand new bundle released, a trio of long-awaited ships that have possibly the most difficult names that we at Priority One have ever tried to pronounce. So, um, we're going to give this to Elijah. Take it away. Three new Tier 6 science vessels have hit the C-Store. So those of you who enjoy flying science ships will probably want to take a closer look. Federation players get the advanced research vessel, the Sutherland class. KDF players get the Nashzov research vessel. And for the Romulans, it's the Laiosa research warbird. All three ships come with the Universal Console Tachyon Particle Field Emitter, which has the nice effect of sending out a very pretty visual effect that damages enemy shields while regenerating and hardening allies' shields. They also come with the Tachyon Dispersal Starship Mastery Trait, which enhances the bridge officer ability Tachyon Beam. For those of you ship nerds out there, you'll want to know that the Sutherland class is in fact named for the USS Sutherland, which itself is a Nebula-class starship seen and or referred to in both The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. So our next story is something that the rumor mill has been spinning for quite a while. There's a new dilithium sink in town, kids! The Phoenix Prize Pack is a new item that can be bought in the dilithium store for 4,500 dilithium and could get you some retired event ships and other rare items. Some highlights of what's on offer, a Tier 5 Rising Luxury Cruiser, the Tier 5 Voth Bulwark Dreadnought Cruiser, Red Matter Capacitors, the Zephram Cochrane Shotgun, Mirror Hakiv Duty Officer, a Dilithium Encrusted Horda, and a number of emotes like Air Guitar, Khan, and Shaka, When the Walls Fell. 
Now, when you open the Phoenix prize pack, you'll get one of five tokens that represent a kind of um, rarity. So uncommon, rare, very rare, ultra rare, and epic. Now, these tokens can then be traded in the redemption store, which has nothing to do with the rapture. But if you've been dying to get your hands on a Rysian luxury cruiser, then here's where you do it with a bit of dilithium and RNG Jesus on your side. And if all that wasn't enough, there's a promo going on Right Meow, where you can get a free Phoenix prize pack from either Anna on DS9 or Grim on Drazana Station, once a day, every day, until the 8th of December, when it will go back into retirement. Well, until the next promo, I'm sure. Okay, so on the token trading, so if I get one rare token, but I've already got all the prizes, I can trade it down to two uncommons. And then once I get a bunch of uncommons, I can then trade it for the other stuff. Yeah, that's right. And and you could do that at every level. So one epic will go down to two ultra rares and then... Down, 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 down. So down. on and so okay. forth. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. So yay dilithium sinks. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, the, those are needed. And it also has the beneficial side effect of people buying a bunch of zen to trade for all the dilithium people have socked away. So... Yay, cryptic. Since yesterday, the Dilithium Exchange has plummeted. Uh, it was hovering around 402 per Zen yesterday, and before recording, I checked it, it was at 276. Really? Yes, it has absolutely plummeted. Everybody is spending their Dilithium on this. Now, I think it's a good idea. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with it. It is a Dilithium sink, but it's a limited time Dilithium sink. I would have thought they would have been much better if they just permanently put this stuff into the Dilithium store. Yeah, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have it gone down so fast, but then it, it would level out, and I think it would turn over pretty regularly. Well, I think I, that, that may be, but, I, but if you look at it from a corporate angle, it's one of these things where we would like to bring in some extra income before the end of the quarter. And we know if we do this, it will have this effect. So I, 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 I tend to think of it more of a, uh, this is, it is a dilithium sink, quote unquote, but it's also a Zen, you know, attractor. Uh, this, this is the sort of thing where people go, oh crap, I haven't been doing my dailies. Uh, I haven't uh, been refining enough or whatever. I don't have the dilithium ready, but I really want these things. Fine, here's 20 bucks cryptic. Uh, and then I'll go on the exchange and, and buy it. So, and I do find it interesting that it went from, you know, near the top of the allowed range to right about the middle. Uh, so again, I think that uh, if I were managing Cryptic's economy, this is just about right. That's just about where I'd want it to be. Something else to point out as well: uh, you can buy ten boxes for forty thousand, uh, basically for 4,000 each instead of buying them individually for four and a half. So obviously you're better off buying the pack of 10 at a time. And you get a free one every day. Yep, that's right. Those Ferengi, they're a lot nicer than people give them credit for. So that brings us to this week's community question. If you could have anything out of the Phoenix prize pack, what would you go for first? The Bulwark Cruiser. I went for the Red Master Capacitors. I'd go for red matter capacitors Capac- and the rising luxury capacitors or one capacitor. One capacitor, but you could theoretically. I think you can only have. You only equip one. You can only one. equip yeah, one. You can only have one. Yeah, yeah but yeah. you you can theoretically get. I have that. I picked up thirty of them today. 
What? For Just... all all characters. Oh my god. Yeah, it is per character. <laughs> <for my tunes. laughs> and finally in Stone News, what you've all been waiting for. <clears throat> Yay! Q's Winter Wonderland is back once again with new challenges, new prizes, and this time, added ugly sweaters. All right. Well, as long as you're a PC player. So for those of you who are new around these parts, Q's Winter Wonderland is a seasonal event full of surprises, and this year is no different. First up, Q's Winter Wonderland is now available on Xbox One and PlayStation 4. There was a little confusion about this event, since it's been well known that there's roughly a three-month separation between PC content and console content, so we weren't really sure how an event like this would work. What they appear to have done is use the content from the 2015 PC event to put together the console version of Q's Winter Wonderland. So for instance, the featured event is the Cones of Conduct, where you can help the gingerbread men construct a giant sentient snow cone to help fight off waves of snowboard. Yes, yeah, really, that's, that, that, was, that was last year's event. Also, the free ship that you can earn is last year's PC event ship, the Tier 6 Breen Resreth Dreadnought Cruiser, which is actually a pretty sturdy ship if you can stand the cold and the fact that it looks like a space lobster. Over on the PC, however, we've got some completely new content in the Winter Wonderland. The new event is Klingon Ice Fishing. And we've got new Epos, a gummy swordfish melee weapon, and... Ugly sweater. Yay! Woohoo! <laughs> this year's free event ship is the Tier 6 Breen Chel Boalg warship, which claims to be an updated version of the Chel Gret, and which features seating for a temporal operative bridge officer. For both console and PC to earn that free ship, you need to log in once a day for 25 days and complete the running race, the fastest game on ice. The event runs now through the middle of January, so they don't have to be 25 consecutive days. That's true. You do have to wait 20 hours between logins, though. It's a cooldown. The race has a cooldown, so. So most of you know that most of the time we cover news for Star Trek Online, but we do occasionally like to branch out. Today we've got a couple of stories from other Star Trek games. First up, you know that we are all pretty excited for the new Star Trek Bridge Crew VR game, the launch of which has sadly been pushed back midway into next year. However, there's been some good news out of Ubisoft this week, which might make players a little more willing to wait. David Vitipka is the senior creative director at Redstorm Entertainment, the developer behind the Bridge Crew VR title. He says, quote, Star Trek Bridge Crew will be playable cross-platform on PSVR, Oculus Rift, and HTC Vive. Our games feature a strong multiplayer experience, so letting friends play together regardless of which headset they own will enhance the social nature of our games and let them be played the way we envisioned, end quote. Star Trek Bridge Crew VR is currently scheduled to be released on all three platforms on March 14th, 2017. And going from high-tech to low-tech, Modifus Games is releasing a tabletop version of Star Trek called Star Trek Adventures. The game will be entering a playtesting phase soon, TM, and Priority One will be doing its own evaluation of the system and the campaign. If you're interested in boldly testing this tabletop adventure, made with contributions from a number of gaming and Star Trek notables, including Trek author Dayton Ward, we'll put a link in the show notes. 
Priority One Fleet has a special event running this week uh, from the 1st of December until the 15th of December. They're holding the Winter Screenshot Competition for all of its members. There's over 300 million EC worth of prizes up for grabs, so join any of the Priority One Fleets today and submit your entry at PriorityOneArmada.com. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek Online News. Now let's head back to Albany with renowned Star Trek illustrator Rick Sternbach. All right, Captains, I have the honor and privilege of sitting down with Rick Sternbach here at the Albany Northeast TrekCon in 2016. Rick, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Now, Captains, for those of you who may not be aware, Rick Sternbach worked on uh, TNG as well as Star Trek The Motion Picture, but more importantly, he influenced the look and feel of Star Trek in so many ways and, of course, brought us the Intrepid, the Intrepid Mm -hmm. Intrepid Starship. Uh, I want to talk a little bit... um, about, first of all, your experiences working on Star Trek. You, you've, you, you shared the story with me earlier about you were driving and you heard yeah. on the radio. Why, why don't you share that story with us a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, when, when Next Generation uh, was in its early, early stages, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we knew something was afoot uh, just from you know, little bits of news coming out. And uh, at one point, I was, uh, you know, I was doing some smaller jobs uh, and driving on the freeway in L.A. And a news report comes on. uh, Paramount Pictures announces Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. And 20 seconds later, I was at a payphone because in 1986, uh, you know, we, I didn't have a cell phone. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so I called, uh, I called Paramount. I got, uh, got a hold of uh, Gene Roddenberry's assistant. Uh, and uh, she said, don't worry. The phone's been ringing off the hook. Gene will want to talk to you. Just, you know, just, just hang in there. And we'll, we'll get back with you. Uh, and, and sure enough, uh, they did. I, you know, I, I came in, uh, met up with... Uh, 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 Bob Justman, who was uh, a producer on the original mm-hmm. Star Trek, mm-hmm. um, uh, Dave Gerald, uh, DC Fontana, um, uh, you know, showed off the portfolio of, of recent work. Uh, Bob said, "Can I hang on to this and, and show it to Gene?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Sure, you know." Uh, now, you had not met and worked with Gene prior to that, or what was the oh, relationship I, that you had with Gene? Well, prior I, to that? I met, I actually met Gene Roddenberry in 1974. Okay, I was living in Connecticut, um, uh, very close to uh, New Haven, mm-hmm. and uh, Gene was coming to town to show the cage. Oh, wow! At at Yale, at Yale University, I was, uh, you know, I was already working uh, uh, professional doing uh, book covers and things but I heard that he was coming to town so uh, you know I, I called mm-hmm. I called his office and said you know I'm, I'm a science fiction illustrator uh, could I possibly meet with Gene for a few minutes mm. after the screening and uh, I actually met up with him and we talked for two and a half hours wow <laughs> wow to have been a fly on yeah. that on the wall there yeah, well, it was uh, it it was amazingly interesting. Uh, he was he was very gracious and generous with his time, mm-hmm. and, and I, I I have to say that every time I talk about him because right. that that's who he was, you know, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
it, it was barely two years after the end of the Apollo program. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I like to tick off timelines in terms of what space events were happening. Um, uh, you know, the shuttle wasn't, uh, wasn't even built yet. Right. But Gina and I talked about the future. Um, uh, the, the optimism was, was, uh, was heavy. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, he wanted to get another Star Trek production on the air or in, mm -hmm. in the theaters. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't happen for another four years. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I kept in touch and uh, stayed, in, you know, stayed in touch with the studios. Right. Um, and eventually got on to uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. That's amazing. That's yeah. an amazing story. But, but Gene loved to talk about... The, about the future, about what right. we could accomplish. Right. Yeah. Which, which, in in speak, for, I met you this week, and and in, in the short conversations that we've had, I can understand why you were on the team because in your description of design, in your description it, into its relationship with with actual science, uh, it wasn't just a, a science fiction show that he was trying to do with with fancy spaceships, but no, something grounded in true science, right? Something grounded in something that could, in fact, be the future. Well, look at the original series. Right. Look at the original series. Uh, there, there was so much, you know, I, I like to say, you know, plausible science and engineering within the context of the show. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was cool science fiction. Right. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you think about the people who were involved in the original series, Gene was a pilot. Matt mm -hmm. Jeffries, the art director, was, was a pilot. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Bob Justman was uh, a Navy man. And uh, these guys were old school. Mm -hmm. I loved them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, 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 you know as, as, a, as a teenager, yeah, I was pulled into this optimistic future mm -hmm. of, of flying in space. Yeah. And, but, but the, you know, the plausibility of the Star Trek universe, um, uh, you know, again, the, the original series uh, happened at a time when NASA was doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, NASA was doing great things. The Russians were putting, uh, you know, their space program together. Mm -hmm. And it was a very heady time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Star Trek, the original series, it came out during uh, the Gemini program. Right. And Apollo was, was being developed, and we hadn't gone to the moon yet, mm -hmm. but, boy, we were, we were getting ready. Yeah. You know, yeah. and Star Trek was right there in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your designs and your technique and, and, and the way you think when putting together something like a ship or something like a ship interior or a set, um, because... You're not, from from what we've discussed a little bit off off the microphone, you're not looking to just throw pieces together to make it look cool, right? It it ends up being looking cool. It, mm -hmm. it ends up looking amazing, but you analyze it and you it it, it for um, form following function, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. So you know you you were taught we were talking a little earlier about Bursard collectors, things of that nature. How how like where where do you start when if when you were on the series? Where did you first look for inspiration to then think ahead to the future? 
Well, you know, anytime, anytime, a, let's say a new ship was required, you know, in the script, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, if it's a Starfleet ship, we already knew, and you know, half the battle was was knowing the stylistic uh, cues that we had to follow. Um, if it's a Starfleet ship, we knew Starfleet style. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we didn't have it nailed, we would work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, we would would maybe have to develop something that at least looked like it was part of the lineage from the original series or the motion picture or some of the other feature films. Um, when I got on to Next Generation, uh, we we started needing more new ships, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. like almost every week. Right. Uh, alien ships, Starfleet ships. Um, so uh, with Starfleet, we, we stuck to some, some basic rules uh, that, that really go back to the original show. Mm-hmm. Uh, with alien ships, if it was an alien ship of the week, um, one of the things I would do is I would look at the makeup, I would look at the mm. costumes that was being developed, uh, I would look at what the set designers were doing, mm-hmm. and get some idea of, okay, who are these who are these new aliens this week, mm-hmm. and what can I borrow from what the other crafts are doing? Right. Um, I did that with the Herosian for uh, Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked at the the armor that they were wearing, and I looked at the the, the very angular, severe-looking sets, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, applied that to the design of the ship. Uh, a lot of things for me start out with doodles. Yeah. I just doodle like crazy with a, you know uh, a nice fresh marker and a blank sheet of paper. But again. Sticking to some of these these stylistic rules, uh, I, I I like the idea of the limitations, uh, not to simply go crazy and draw something that that doesn't fit with what we would see on the screen eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, with the costumes and the makeup right. uh, and so forth. Uh, so a lot of the a lot of the origins start out with some of the other crafts, mm-hmm. uh, and then I just try to put something together that uh, uh, could be built by a model maker Mm -hmm. physically or built with a CGI crew um, and uh, done on an episodic schedule. Right, right. Uh, right. And I've told told people, uh, you know, all along, episodic TV is uh, is a harsh mistress. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's true. Every 10th working day, we were into a new show. Now, let me ask you, you know, we are celebrating this year the 50th anniversary of the original series. Next year will be the 30th. You had so much influence in The Next Generation. What, like, I, I saw you a moment ago holding an iPad. Is that surreal? <laughs> Is that kind of like hot? Yes, yes. Like, what? <laughs> like you brought this to, really, right? You influenced this. And, and, and your, your work in it, 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 I can't imagine what it would be like it, to... You know, it's funny. It's a, it, it, I think it's sort of a convergence. Uh, a lot of, uh, um, you, you know, a lot of folks in the electronics industry and a lot of us in science fiction and, you know, a, a lot of us doing SF art and so forth. I, I think we, we were all heading toward, you know, one destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have to look back at things like the, uh, the, the news pads in 2001 A Space Odyssey. 
Okay, so because uh, those those were were uh, uh, pretty interesting predictions mm -hmm. uh, of you know what could be. Okay, um, in Star Trek the original series, you know uh, Kirk got to sign the electronic clipboard. Right. We never got to see images flashing on it, but you know I've got to believe that if they had the tech yes. back then to right. do it, they would have done it. Right. 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 Know. Right. That's yeah. amazing. But That's but amazing. it's it's great to be able to, you know, hold the iPad. Right. Or 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 my iPhone. Right. And just say, Oh my god, I can connect to anywhere <laughs> and find out almost anything. So it's very much like you know, give me a direct line to memory alpha. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And I, actually I think there's an app. Yeah. They yeah. do have an app. Um, so what 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 are you working yeah. on now? What's yeah. uh what what kind of projects are you uh, you know, I'm actually doing, um, uh, you know, some some small freelance things uh, uh, by choice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've helped out uh, some of the fan films like uh, Renegades. Nice. Uh, with things. And uh, the, the thing that has taken up most of my time in the last two years has been getting rid of 40 plus years of stuff yeah. that have followed me around. Right, right. Okay. Uh, books going off to the local library, uh, you know, some some uh, things going off to eBay, and and just just uh, you know downsizing mm -hmm. like crazy. Yeah. yeah um. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, taking a little bit of time after after a very long series of of assignments uh, to to just kind of sit back and take stock of what. You know what's going on, and right. uh, you know not worry about what's coming next right. for for a little bit. Speaking about uh, what's coming next a little bit, uh, when you look at something like the JJ verse, the JJ track, and now upcoming Discovery, mm -hmm. uh, what do you think? You know what what kind of how are you looking at these, and 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 with what kind of an eye are you trying to sit back and enjoy it as a fan, or are you are you really are you Paying attention to every detail that that comes across the screen, you know the the uh, the Abrams films, um, you know your the the, the JJ verse, uh, <laughs> uh, you know yeah I, I enjoyed the first one it was a fun romp uh, some of it made absolutely no sense to me, uh, but you know it's 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 someone else's sandbox yeah, yeah. I got to play in one sandbox and had a great time. Okay. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Abrams and company are doing something with the franchise that, you know, I don't exactly agree with everything that I see on the screen, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not frantic about it. Right, I don't right, jump up right, and down. I right. don't yell and scream at the screen. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm also waiting. Unlike to some of us, uh, maybe. <laughs> unlike some of us that will have oh, that I, type of passion. I could critique. You know, I could critique <laughs> things, um, but I also sort of understand why they did certain things, right. like um, why they would go off to the National Ignition Facility, hmm. uh, the big laser right. facility. Right. You know, to pretend it's the engine room. Right. Okay. Well, look at what they did in the original series. They went places. They used, you know, found objects and mm -hmm. found locations and things. Um, why not? Right. right why not? Right, so right, I, right. you know, I'll give them. I'll give them, a, you know, some slack on that. Do you have any hopes for yeah. Discovery? Uh, I wish them well. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, 
you know, going off to Toronto like that. <laughs> you know, although they are doing a lot of the CG work uh, back in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, you know, thank God for technology. They can do that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I wish them well. I hope uh, the series turns out uh, very cool. Wonderful. Rick, thank you so very much for chatting with me here. It's been a real pleasure, a real honor. I look forward to perhaps doing it again sometime. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Yeah, terrific. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 296's community question was, Do you enjoy Chris Pine's portrayal of Captain Kirk, or is it really just a parody of a character that we're supposed to try to take seriously? Is he too much of a Han Solo rather than the TOS Kirk? Rorva on PriorityOnePodcast.com commented, In the Prime Universe, Kirk was always portrayed as a serious, deliberate person who knew exactly what he was doing and what the consequences of his actions would be. Until Simon Pegg came along to pend Beyond, JJ's vision of Kirk was a young, laddish buffoon who had no real idea what he was doing and made stupid mistakes. I think Pegg tried really hard to correct that in Beyond, giving him some real, grown-up emotive responses and logical action, while maintaining the fun factor the previous two films introduced. From Facebook, Chris Shivtovsky says, JJ's Kirk feels like it was inspired by an SNL interpretation of the character. Oh, look how much of a womanizer Kirk is, let's have a joke about it. Whereas on the show, he's way more nuanced. That's not to say Kirk was perfect or anything, he was very flawed, but he was flawed in a way that didn't feel like a caricature. Beyond was good, though. I felt like they finally nailed the character, maybe too little too late. I don't think it is too little too late, you know? They're going to do a fourth one, but if they do it right, that'll be, and let's wrap this up because everyone's getting old and too expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does actually kind of work in the progression of that character. It makes sense within that Kelvin timeline. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Echo Farragut wrote in, I enjoyed the Kelvin Timeline universe films, and at times I thought Kirk was acting sort of buffoonish. I do agree that Kelvin Timeline Kirk was more of a Han Solo-style character. From PriorityOnePodcast.com also, Farron says, Compare Prime Kirk to JJ vs. Kirk to Shinzon and Captain Picard. They're both the same person, but they have different upbringing, so they have become totally different individuals. JJ vs. Kirk grew up without the support of a father. He didn't have a dad. That was for me. While Shinzon was born and raised in a labor camp with Romulan guards who beat him every day. Well, no, that's actually a really good point. You know, we think about it from like a fan perspective that, oh, that's not quite the Kirk that we know and love. But he's absolutely right. You know, there's a really big difference psychologically to the Captain Kirk from the original series and Captain Kirk from the Kelvin timeline. It's not a small thing to have had your father die. The best part about this comment is that he totally agrees with me, because that's exactly what I said last week. This universe, Kirk, who had graduated and got a starship command on his first day out of the Academy. Mm-hmm. It was not how it happened in the Prime Universe. Yeah, so they should be different people. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy writes in, Wonderful show, everyone. As for Pine, his mannerisms are Shatner, but the whole is not equal to the sum of its parts with Pine. Marques also commented, I think Chris Pine did a wonderful portrayal of a Starfleet captain, but not the Kirk. What irked me about the J.J. movies, among a few other things, was the blatant dismissal of the many, many crewmen J.J. Kirk lost. But it was alright as long as his core crew survived. Somehow I never got that feeling from T.O.S. Kirk, despite the legions of T.O.S. red shirts that bit the dust. Elijah, great interview with J.G. Hertzler. The guy has such gravitas with just his voice. Great show, everyone. My thanks. Thanks, Marques. 
Brent Amersbach commented on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Can we start a GoFundMe to get J.G. Hertzler a new computer? <laughs> I think maybe we should. <laughs> we'll just get him some voice acting work because that guy does just sound awesome. He does. He does. It just sounds good. I kept having to check the levels on the Zoom. I looked at the Zoom one moment and it said, too awesome to record. <laughs> Stop it, Elijah. It's too much. (laughs) Cut it out, man. Well, that wraps up episode 297 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, we need to send a very special thanks to our Patreon supporters like Navy Boat Slew and Stephen Humphrey, along with all of our other patrons who financially support this show from week to week. So here's our community questions for this week. Just a little reminder. What do you think about the new casting information from Star Trek Discovery? And if you could have anything from the Star Trek Online Phoenix prize pack, what would it be? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage. And you can join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Thursday nights at around 10 p.m. Eastern at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live. Join the chat and be part of the show. And if you want to join us in Star Trek Online, the Priority One Armada is now recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes, please leave us a review. More importantly, help spread the word about this show. Invite your fellow Trekkies, because it's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is a logical choice. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria DePost, and Gavin LaWarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Kenna, what do we? Well, we missed a. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> so we missed a week. Hopefully, yeah. y'all didn't. Uh, hold on, I want to banter there a second. Just give me a second. I, okay. This is what happens I when gotta, I look at I gotta words. Come with and I gotta, gotta no, no, no. Banter. Hold cool. on. Put it in the script, quick. Put it in the script. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. I just have to look down. I have to look away. That's it. I just have to look away from the. Screen. No, but it's for Kenna.
banter. Banter. Is it is it just banter or is it banter banter? We'll put banter banter. Okay. There we go. I'm good. It's got to be a cup of coffee. Tony, that's not helpful. <laughs> this is a Saturday Night Live sketch. Tell me you've seen that Saturday Night Live sketch. No. No. Ugh. I'm sorry. I've been out of the country for a long look, time. I gotta look that one up too. I gotta look up the bidet one and I gotta look up the uh, <laughs> people. You need to make us a playlist. Well, here's another interesting trivia nugget for you to dunk into your Trek sauce. So with the first <laughs> I did that so That's well. That's the third time you've heard it said out loud all. by I was her. gonna get through and that. Now you're laughing like that. Yeah, but Yeah, yeah. He you just jinxed it now. I'm nice not gonna to make it through my... again. It's 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 nice to hear my words come off the page that way. <laughs> uh, you just you, you've got you've got a gift, Elijah. That's all there is to it. Oh man. Yeah. Wait. Wait till <laughs> wait till I start seeking share in a minute. <laughs> oh wait, it says sound. Yeah, clip. you're not okay. required to sing that one. Can I? Other plans for you. I might have a go though, just for the. No, you, know, you you just do it. Just do it. <sighs> Anthony Rapp, best known for his role as Mark in the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical and subsequent... Ooh, that was a mouthful. Anth- so is it a mouthful of nuggets for with your Trek sauce on it? No. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Nuggets and Trek sauce. Anthony Rapp, best known for his role as Mark in the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical and subsequent movie musical Rent. Jesus. Who wrote Man, that? Jeez. That's hard. I don't know, man, but that's a tough I love sentence. when my words leap off the page the way they do. <laughs> just leap right up. They just sort of fall out of your mouth, just like a Trek nugget. <laughs> just like the Trek sauce dripping down mm. from a Trek nugget. All right. This year's free event ship is a tier six Breen Chell Boal Boalg. I hate you so much. <laughs> I didn't actually realize until just now that I've literally given you every name of every ship in this entire segment, and I'm so sorry. Because I'm Latino, so they're like, just give it to the Spanish guy. He'll just say it in Buenca. Spanish and it'll sound fancy. Por supuesto, señor Boalga. <laughs> Bolg, Bolg, Bolg. Okay, this year's free event ship. <laughs> I still maintain they're messing with us. Like they're specifically messing with us at Cryptic right now. Elijah, this is the part where Elijah I, I, talks. I no, I, 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 I. Are you too good for your name? Kenna was talking. Join the chat. <laughs> Stop tickling me, Winters. I couldn't help but tickle you. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite Catcher. podcast app to feeds. Damn it. <laughs> you just want to say it. We can, that can be our thing. Why don't we just make it our thing? Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald's with assistant. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! I am the champion, my friend. <laughs> That makes me so happy, Elijah. <sighs> 
Thanks to our audio team. <laughs> All right, we will get this done in under five Michael minutes. Michael McDonald's okay. check nuggets. <laughs> oh, I should be checking nuggets. <laughs> Can I have a number one, please? That'll be 18 Michael McDonald's check nuggets <laughs> with sauce. <laughs> And does your bathroom have a bidet? (laughs) (laughs) While you're getting that ready, I'm just going to duck in the men's room. Be right back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you guys, at least I don't have to do any sit-ups today. My tummy muscles are getting Mm. such a workout right now. (sighs) Oh.